Good morning, Castle Oaks. So good to see you all here this morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for braving the snow. Those of you who are here, those of you who are online, I hope you're enjoying a nice warm blanket and a comfy couch. But uh, my name is Will French, like Josh said, um, and it's my privilege to share with you today. Uh, my wife, Becca, and our son, Zane, and I have attended here for a number of years. And on occasion, Phil asks me to step outside my comfort zone and share with you today. So um, thanks for being here. Uh, let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What are some of the things about our faith that make you a little bit nervous? Some of the things about God that occasionally just give you a little bit of a pit in your stomach. When I was young, I was fortunate enough to grow up in the church. And one of those things that made me a little bit nervous was the idea of God's calling in our life. Certainly, I felt like I wanted to serve God and honor him, but I felt like maybe I was missing God's calling or not being discerning enough or maybe just a little bit too stubborn if I thought that God's calling for me didn't involve becoming a missionary overseas or a full-time pastor. It made me a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit worried that if my life involved anything other than full-time ministry, that maybe I wasn't quite living fully up to God's call for me. As I've grown a little bit older and with the benefit of some perspective, I can see that this is obviously not the case. Of course, God would have callings for people apart from full-time ministry. Very clearly, people can be called to be teachers, parents, doctors, but sometimes that gnawing pit of questioning remains. Okay, maybe I'm not called to be a missionary, but what is God's call for my life? It's a big question. What if I miss it? What if I still don't love the idea of God's call for me? What if it's a lot of hard work? How am I supposed to align what I do with the majority of my years on the planet with what God would have for me? Jesus talks about what we're supposed to do with our time on earth, about what perspective we're supposed to have as our lives align with what Jesus would have for us. John 12, 25, he says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. I'll be honest, uh, this passage was one of those verses for me as well growing up that at first read made me a little bit nervous too. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. I love my life. I love being alive. Does that mean I'm doing things wrong? This passage clearly speaks to the fact that there is a purpose for our lives beyond what we would have for it. That there are things for our lives beyond our own ideas, beyond our own intentions, and our own desires. The idea that our lives are not our own and that we are called into the service of the Father. In 1901, 
An African-American had yet to dine at the White House as the guest of a sitting president. They had attended meetings and even helped build the White House, but dining with the president implied a level of social equality that up until that point had not been attained. Teddy Roosevelt was president at the time and had the opportunity to invite Booker T. Washington, a former slave, to dine with him at the White House. Instead of jumping at the opportunity, the chance to do the right thing, the chance to make history, Roosevelt hesitated. He considered the potential blowback, the possible loss of political support, how difficult it would be. Wouldn't it just be easier to simply not invite Washington as his guest? Maybe just for a meeting. But Roosevelt ultimately would not cave to the hesitation. He would write later, the very fact that I felt a moment's qualm on inviting him because of his color made me ashamed of myself and made me hasten to send the invitation. As things turned out, I'm very glad to have invited, to have asked him, for the clamor aroused by the act makes me feel as if the act was necessary. Washington may have had similar qualms about the meeting, less so of, is this the right thing to do, but certainly fears about his safety, of the personal risk he would take by igniting the ire of deep-seated racism. Ultimately, he too fought the fear and answered the call, not knowing what the long-term consequences of his actions might be, but knowing that in that moment, it was the right thing to do. Both men, despite the hesitation, ultimately answered the call to do the right thing with courage. The initial call is to get off the mark, to do something. It might be a jump, a leap, but in reality is probably just a step. One of the most direct examples of a call in someone's life is when Jesus called the disciples. Matthew 4, 19 through 20 says, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Mark's gospel tells it similarly. He says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Immediately and at once. These are clearly not decisions where all the consequences were carefully weighed. Well, how are we going to eat? Do you think this disciple gig pays enough to retire comfortably? There's always a reason not to. To question was this call truly from God? Did he really mean it? But these men were clearly called and convicted such that they left their livelihood and their lives immediately to follow this man named Jesus. They didn't know what their lives were going to look like. All they knew was that they needed to take the next step away from their nets and towards Jesus. The fact that sometimes the call is clear for us and the road is well-defined still doesn't make it easy or means that we will be without fear. Turn back to John 12 a few verses earlier and we see Jesus entering Jerusalem. Verses 12 to 13 say, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. 
This seems like the culmination of God's calling in Jesus' ministry, right? This is the opposite end of the story from the calling of the disciples. The calling has, up until this point, been answered. The path has been followed. But Jesus knows the end is coming. The call is not quite yet over, and the road is not done. The triumphal entry is not the end of the story. And as we read earlier, Jesus says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. This seems like a Jesus who is at peace, who knows the call the Father has placed on his life and who's ready for the next step. Ready for the calling from the Father about the trials that are certainly coming. But in the very next verse, he confronts the reality of what's in front of him. Verse 27 says, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? This is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. I like what the message says. It says, right now, I am shaken. What am I going to say? Father, get me out of this? No, this is why I came in the first place. I'll say, Father, put your glory on display. Jesus recognized and faced the fear within him about what was to come. But at the same time, he also faced the call with courage and the fact that he was not alone. And ultimately, it was about not him, but the Father. Father, put your glory on display. By its very nature, almost by definition, a call from God in our life is disruptive. It calls us out. It calls us up. It calls us forward. A call is a, stage, is a change from the status quo, a change from what is currently happening. And that can be disconcerting, can be difficult, and it can be uncomfortable. The Bible is full of examples of people who have received the call from God, and the initial response was fear, concern, and trepidation. In Exodus 3, Moses experiences God in the burning bush. And in verse 4, it says, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses very clearly knew the, this conversation that he was about to have was with God, a direct one-on-one -on -one with God in the fiery bush. Goes on to say in verse 7, God says, I have seen the misery of the people in Egypt. And in verse 8, I have come down to rescue them and will bring them up into a land flowing with milk and honey. And then in verse 10, says, God says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What's Moses' response? But, but. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? 
I know you've promised to bring us up, out of the, up to the land of milk and honey, but am I really your guy? I so wish we could have heard Moses' tone here. Was he truly petrified? Or was it a false humility? Was it a true lack of confidence or he just truly didn't want the job? God goes on in verse 12 to say, I will be with you. And later in verses 18 to 20, the elders of Israel, they will listen to you. But I know that the king of Egypt will not go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. God is promising success to Moses. What a guarantee. But Moses has another excuse. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? So God replies with three things. He tells Moses to throw his staff on the ground, which promptly turns into a snake. If that happens to me, I'm out. Snake on the ground in front of me, no go. But then when he picks it up, it turns back into his staff. He tells Moses to reach inside his cloak and touch his skin, which turns leprous, and then he touches it again, and it becomes normal. And finally tells Moses that if they still don't believe you, pour water from the Nile on the ground, and it will turn into blood. But Moses has yet another excuse in spite of the miracles. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. God's response is quick at this point. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you to speak and I will teach you what to say. But again, Moses has another excuse and now it's nothing specific. It's just, Lord, please, anyone but me. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. God's a little angry at this point. Says the Lord's anger burned against him and said, what about your brother Aaron? I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. Fear and trepidation are normal emotions. God knows this is the case. At least 11 times he tells us in scripture to be strong and courageous. Mary's response to Gabriel is a striking comparison to Moses. In Luke 1, 28 through 34, Gabriel visits Mary and says, Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Gabriel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. And then after Gabriel explains, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's not that Mary wasn't scared. God is not calling us to be free of all fear. It's not that she didn't have questions about how this was going to work out. But ultimately, she realized the call of God and gave it over to him in submission. But what happens after the moment? If you answer the call, you step up and realize and recognize God's call. Smooth sailing from here on out? Easy road ahead? Becca and I are only four years into our parenting journey with Zane, but a saying I heard early on has resonated with me. The nights are long, but the years are short. 
This is so true. The nights are long, but the years are short. I like this saying because it recognizes that this call of being a parent is one that is so deeply ingrained in us, that speaks to us, that gives us life and purpose so deep that when we look back, the years have flown by because of the importance and the love that this calling of being a parent involves. But it also recognizes that in the face of importance, in the face of the calling that is so deeply who we are, that the road can be long, it can be difficult. Then in the thick of life, at 3 a.m., it can be heavy. The same is true of all callings in our life, particularly those that sit with us for years. It doesn't have to be parenting. It can be a career, caring for an elderly parent, or serving the church. When we talk about God's calling in our life, I think it's easy to get stuck on the moment. Certainly there are plenty of those moments in scripture. We've seen a couple of them already today. Gabriel coming to Mary prior to Jesus's birth. Moses and the burning bush. God calling Abraham, saying he will be blessed. One of my callings in life is to be a veterinarian. Horses have very clearly been a huge part of who I am since I was very young. And becoming a veterinarian seemed a logical outgrowth of that. I never had that moment of the Lord clearly speaking to me saying, you will be a veterinarian, but it just seemed to fit. The simple, be- simple view of what I do every day seems like an obvious calling. I get to save animals, make them feel better, relieve suffering. And that certainly is true, sometimes. I've saved a few animals' lives in my career thus far, a few. But more frequently, I might go to a farm and take temperatures on 30 horses to make sure that they are healthy enough to travel across state lines. Or I might spend 20 minutes listening to an owner describe how their dressage horse's shoulder extension in the right half pass is not as fluid as the left half pass, and we definitely need to find a joint that's inflamed and inject it with some cortisone. Now, this is not to say that these are not important. Movement of healthy animals across state lines is critical to help prevent animal epidemics, and helping equine athletes live up to their full potential is truly one of my great joys. But some days, the path doesn't seem quite as clear or the calling quite so lofty. I love what Tim Keller has to say about this. He says, our daily work can be a calling only if it is reconceived as God's assignment to serve others. It's pretty obvious in the moment that my call is to serve people when they're grieving the loss of an animal and it's an intense situation with a catastrophic injury, but that call is no less valid because the situation may not be so clear. To give a kind word, to help someone, to simply listen, we have the opportunities in front of us multiple times per day. Do we really listen? Answering the call is frequently more than just a moment. It's a long road. Saying yes multiple times, Resisting doubt, it can be lonely, and it can require courage again and again. Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore I, as a prisoner for serving the Lord, 
beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Where the message says, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want, there, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road that God has called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. What is the road that God has called you on to travel? What way is he laying out before you? If we turn back to John 12, Jesus lays it out for us in the verse that seemed such a big request, saying we might lose our life, it's right there plainly for us. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. The road, the way, the calling for us, right next to Jesus, right where he is. Where is Jesus? He's everywhere. Sounds like such a Sunday school answer, right? Where is Jesus? He's everywhere. Don't miss it in its simplicity. He's in your job, taking 30 horses temperatures. He's in that conversation. He's in that person that is before you today. He's in this season of Lent as we prepare. What if the moment is not an angel calling from heaven, but a small whisper or a nudge? Is it any less significant? Of course not. As Phil preached a few weeks ago, about Elijah, when the, when the Lord spoke to Elijah, he was not in the wind, he was not in the earthquake, he was not in the fire. Where was he? In the gentle whisper. Tim Keller again does a good job of breaking down the idea of calling when he says that's God, that God's will can be frequently found at the confluence, at the intersection of affinity, ability, and opportunity. Affinity, ability, and opportunity. The things in our life that we are drawn to, our affinity, the things in our life that we are good at, our ability, but perhaps most importantly, the things in our life which are right in front of us. The things in our life that God gives us an opportunity to respond to. Keller also says this, he says, how with my existing abilities and opportunities can I be of greatest service to others, knowing what I do of God's will and human need? We have an opportunity, particularly during Lent, as we purposefully draw near to God to listen to and respond to what God would have for us, for us individually, for our families, and for us as a church body. To answer this question, that given our existing abilities and opportunities, how can we be of greatest service to God and to others? That is the call. Don't get hung up on thinking you've got to figure out what the call is for your whole life. If you know it and it is clear, that is great. Take it, cling it, cling to it, and hang on to it. But what way has Jesus laid out for you today as we approach the table? What people has he put in your path? What is that gentle whisper telling you 
for this Lenten season. Brothers and sisters of Castle Oaks, during this Lenten season, as Paul said, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet, run on the road that God has called you to travel on. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you uh, present us with the opportunity to answer the call, Lord. In our everyday conversations, our everyday opportunities, Lord, let us heed that gentle whisper, particularly during this season, as we prepare, as we prepare for Holy Week. Lord, let us be faithful as we answer the call that you have placed before us every day. In Jesus' name, amen.